I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Today, I want to welcome Alex Brookman. He is the founder and president of Brookman Executive Consulting based in Vancouver, Canada. His clients include high growth startups and Fortune 1000 executive teams looking to achieve greater strategic clarity. Alex is a facilitator, speaker, and best-selling author at the intersection of strategy and leadership. Alex helps businesses reach unmatched levels of alignment, performance, and results. Alex, welcome. Thanks for having me, Craig. I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it as well. And we were uh, we were chatting a little bit before, you know, in the green room uh, about where you're from. You're from Nuremberg. Yeah, that's correct. Good old Germany. Yeah. Um, and w- what's amazing is you, you've only been so you live in Canada, you live in Vancouver, and you've only been here uh, in North America for three years, yet your your accent is amazingly clear. Thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you. <laughs> how do you I mean, how do you do that? I mean, I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of international people. I've lived uh, in multiple places. And it's hard. I mean, it's one thing to learn the language, but getting the accent right is is tough. How, how'd you do it? Uh, there is no intent behind it. L- let's let's be totally frank. This is nothing that I've ever tried to be better at or that I've tried to improve in. But when you live and work basically 100% in um, a certain language, I guess it's just what you do over time. Um I've always loved languages, so I speak a few other languages as well, not not at all to the degree um, of English, but um, I think it has to do with, at least that someone who is a language teacher once told me, it has to do with um, whether you're a musical person, you listen and understand and adapt the sound and the flow of a language more easier, more easily than someone else might do it. And I'm a very musical person, so... What was an interesting perspective? Uh, what, so uh, musical, do you play instruments? No, not really. Not anymore. I did when I was younger, but I've always been a huge music fan. Um, I've been a semi-professional DJ for over a decade when I was younger. So um, music always played a, m- a massively important role in my life. Wow. Interesting. So what other languages do you speak? French and Spanish. French and Spanish. And apparently German. <laughs> You, you know, I, um, you know, I've been to Munich actually multiple times and, uh, you know, I used to travel from Munich to Nuremberg or, or rather to Ulm. And uh, one time I ran this Renault and the uh, GPS had two languages. It had German and French and I don't really speak either. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out which language I can understand the best. And, and it ended up being French. 
I guess because you know I know a little bit you know know more of the Latin roots. Uh, but uh, I know at one point I was looking at the GPS as it was speaking at me in French. I ended up getting a speeding ticket because the speed limit changed uh, right as it was speaking at me. And you know, for those that haven't driven in Germany, you don't get a warning that the speed limit's about to change. The speed limit changes, and you'd better be going that new speed. That is correct. <laughs> That's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> so now Nuremberg is a a a city of historical significance and and um you know and i i think it would be amazing to live there what was it like you know and what what did it mean to you to live in nuremberg the fact that i was born and raised relatively close to nuremberg but that i have never had a strong connection to the city when i was younger literally made me feel like a tourist when I moved there first. Um, and that meant I allowed myself to explore the city from a tourist perspective um, with all those historical sites. I mean, the city is far older than a thousand years. It has this massive castle sitting on the hill in the center of the city. Um, that is in itself a pretty impressive sight um, to see and to enjoy, also to to roam the castle and you know just be in the presence of the history that comes with it but also Nuremberg has this dark side um, of the history that is attached to it especially known for um, the gigantic buildings that the Nazis built there and then obviously um, become Nuremberg became very famous after the world had ended when the Nuremberg tribunals took place the trials that uh, convicted um, yeah, the big names of the Nazis and try to bring justice to the world. Yeah. And, you know, in all of that, you know, I would say there, there were still, there was still good that came out of that. You know, I would say with any adversity, there, there were good things, you know, and one of the things, one of the uh, ethical documents that was created was the Nuremberg Code you know, that tightly regulated um, medical experimentation on humans. And you know, there was one, um, one doctor that said it was the biggest, had that had the biggest impact on medical ethics of any other document in history. Isn't it the same with many instances in history that um, someone does something really either stupid or terrible? And then we get a new piece of legislation or regulation out of it. Um, so to prevent others from going down a similar route, I think, um, especially during that time in the in the mid 20th century, if we think back, that's not even 100 years ago, not yeah. even 100 years ago. And the world was so vastly different back then in all, in like in every aspect of life, we had just, you know, everything was different. And when you take a look at, what has changed in those past 70, 80 years since the second, end of the Second World War, it's amazing how far we've come. Yet there is still um, a lot of terrible things happening in the world. So in some areas, we've come a long way. And in others, it's easy to doubt whether we as humankind will ever, you know, live peacefully um, side by side. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got a book that I'm releasing uh, now called Hope That Won't Die. 
that actually deals with the Nuremberg Code, which was passed in 1947. And when that code was passed, and again, it was something that limited uh, medical experimentation or tightly regulated medical experimentation on humans. At that time, there were some experiments going on in the U.S. Uh, called the Tuskegee experiments, where poor black uh, poor black men were having had that had syphilis were having these various experiments done. And a lot of Americans know about that, but what most Americans don't know is that that type of experimentation was strictly prohibited by the Nuremberg Code, and it continued in the United States for another 25 years until 1972, all in violation of the Nuremberg Code. So back to your point, in some ways we learn, and in some ways we don't. But um, well, what an interesting thing to have lived there and seen that and 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 experienced that. Now you moved uh, you moved to the U.S. three years ago. What uh, when did you move? Moved to Canada to Vancouver. I'm, I'm sorry. To yes, North America. <laughs> which for yes. which for which for most. <laughs> People in the U.S. is just another province of of North America, right? Of the U.S., yeah. so which makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, I moved there in March 2020, um, and most people remember what they did in March 2020 because it was the at the height of the first lockdown of the COVID nineteen pandemic. So it was not your regular let's fly to Vancouver move. It was a very, very difficult decision to make because um, originally, so the, the whole transition from Germany to uh, Canada had been planned for about two years, been set up. Um, we hired replacements for me. I was the, the managing director of a business back then. So it's just nothing you just do, right? So you plan it, you execute that plan. And then COVID strikes. Um, at that point, we had an eight-week-old baby on our arm. So it was, from many perspectives, a difficult decision to make. And if you remember back then, no one knew anything about COVID-19. It was just a fear-filled climate. You, you, People were dying in masses. I, I remember the pictures um, from New York City. They were just terrible. And um, we had to make the decision whether we board a plane overnight to bring our child and seven suitcases to Vancouver, or whether we stay where we were and just wait it out. But back then, no one knew how what wait it out would mean. And if you know a little bit about immigration laws, I had a window of 12 months to immigrate into Canada after I had been granted permanent residency. Mm. And we know now that waiting it out would have cost me that window of opportunity. So we made that decision back then because we felt it was the right thing to do. Was it an easy thing to do? Uh, of course not. I mean, everything that was so well planned out just was thrown overboard. Like we had to book flights within days um, to get out of the country. We were on the last flight out from Frankfurt airport um, to Toronto because there weren't any direct flights anymore to Vancouver. So um, if you know a little bit about Europe, Frankfurt is the third largest airport in Europe. Um, and mm -hmm. it's it's scary when you walk through an airport that is entirely empty, lights are out, mm -hmm. and the only people that you see are 
a military police and you're like do you want to shoot the virus what's happening here you know and um, you try to find your humor in a difficult situation but it's just very exhausting um to go through that especially when you have a newborn with you i i i can't imagine i mean i really can't uh the the fear and, and the uncertainty uh there um well in you know, one of the things that struck me was you, you flew out of Frankfurt. That's not exactly next door to Nuremberg. That's, well, it's, uh, um, it's not next door, but it's not too far away either. And it's your um, options are very limited when every airline tells you our last flight is leaving in two days. Our last flight is leaving in five days. And Air Canada told us our last flight is leaving in nine days. It's the last scheduled flight. So we cleared out the apartment. We got rid of everything. Um, most of the things landed on the dumpster because there was, you know, curfew. No one could come by and just, you know, buy stuff of our hands. So everything that was worth um, saving either went to my girlfriend's uh, mom's place or to my mom's place. And um, everything else, like, for example, our two cats, they uh, were taken adopted by uh, my mom for it for for the time being and then later were adopted by my girlfriend's sister and and her kids so you, you need to make decisions that are really really tough and you make like 20 of them per hour and that was something that taught me a lot about what you're able to do if you have to or if you want to so no one forced us there was a decision that we took so I'm, we're not victims in any kind of way in that situation we brought it upon ourselves, but then you also need to make sure you work through it because there is no way back. Yeah. Wow. Now, when you moved to Canada, were you, you mentioned that you were with another company. Did you leave the company or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Is that um, like two years ago? Did that ago, happen when you moved to Canada? Was that the reason you were moving to Canada? Not really, no. Like two years before we moved, um, we took the decision. My girlfriend is Canadian, so she wanted to go back home. And um, we took the decision together that this might be a great opportunity for us to move our lives to Vancouver. And um, I was employee number one back then at that business. So I helped build it. And um, I flew to Iceland to meet with the owner of the company, told them, and they understood because um, they themselves built the business in Germany, being Icelandic, uh, living abroad and having that experience helped certainly to structure the conversation and the emotions that come with, with that decision. Um, you know, when you, when you build a business from the ground up, after a few years, you realize you have so much proprietary knowledge in your head that will be very difficult to replace you in that role or in that many roles that you have by hiring someone from the outside and replacing you as one by one. Mm. So we actually decided to divide my role um, from one of the lead facilitators, the managing director of the business, and also the, the leader of the team in the back office. Um, and we, we replaced me like multiple times. So there, there were three or four people that came into the business to take on certain pieces of my role that's not supposed to mean that I did the work of three people. Um, there were many constraints that came with um, me doing all these different kinds of things. So it was also an opportunity for the business to mature and to grow and to um, move beyond being dependent on this one person. So that was a very good move for the organization as such. And also for me personally, because I stayed connected with the business over the course of another um, two years and, um, 
to help transfer the knowledge that I gained, particularly around one of the key clients to my successor. And that was a, a very long process. I, I appreciate that most businesses don't have four years from the decision-making to the end of the execution process um, when it comes to hiring and replacing key personnel and doing knowledge transfers. But no one forced us to do it faster. So we just took our time. Wow. And so when you moved to Canada, that's when you started the Brookman Executive Coaching. Is that correct? That's correct. So that business is more focused on the strategy facilitation piece of the work that I've been doing for so long. Um, but it also has a very strong connection to executive development still, because you you always run into one of the other when you do one or the other. So very often when I do executive development work, team development work with executive teams, we would invariably at some point in time start talking about business strategy. And the other way around, when you when companies bring me in to facilitate strategy processes to help them design and formulate a new business strategy, at some point they realize that one of the make or break points will be how they as an executive team, but also as individuals use this opportunity for growth for themselves to implement and drive execution of the strategy. So those two components are very strongly connected, executive team development and individual executive development and business strategy on the other side. So <clears throat> starting your own business in 2020, I mean, I remember when the pandemic first hit, I mean, people that were not moving to a new continent across <laughs> the ocean, they were scared. You know, there were there was so much uncertainty and, you know, and they the they didn't know how they would do business. Uh, a lot of people just assumed business was going to stop, you know, until, you know, the lockdowns were over. And of course, you know, the lockdowns went you know a lot longer than originally expected. What was it like for you starting starting your business in the middle of all that? When you start a business, what you often do is you rely on your previous network. And that's what I did. Um, so the original transition between my previous business and Berkman Executive Consulting happened in September 2019. So before the pandemic hit. That's when that whole shift happened. When I left the business when I um, started to get my head around, you know, helping my girlfriend through a really difficult last trimester of her pregnancy. Um, we also had to say goodbye to my father who passed from cancer very young, unfortunately, right before my son was born. So it was a period where um, it was not only about the business, it was my entire life was kind of in a very volatile and changing um, state. So I allowed myself to focus less on building a new business and more on just dealing with what was going on in my life, right? So um, when we when we came to, to Canada, I relied on the business that I still did with my previous company. So I did not have any chance to visit, I don't know, any, any conferences or any other networking events that I could have attended under normal circumstances because there were none. Um, that then happened a few months into the pandemic when people started to live more online, when those first online events came up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I used that time to allow myself to be fully present and to 
just see my small baby boy uh, grow. And I spent a lot of time with them. Um, that was really a wonderful time on the one hand for us, while the world around us seemed to go completely nuts. Um, and I didn't focus too much on, on working. I focused more on family on the one hand. And I started writing what then three years later became The Strategy Legacy, um, the book that just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Um, that was that that those were the origin times of the book. And by the way, congratulations on that. You know, I'm I've got two books coming out. I'd be happy if they hit Amazon's bestseller list. Wall Street Journal, that's I mean, that's over the top. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It was never intended. So it was a dream that came true that I didn't know I had. Let me put it that way. Um, how, what what do you attribute to its success? It's with a lot of things out there. It's not necessarily about how um, how great a book is. There are so many great books out there that I've read that have never received any recognition at all. It's about if, if you focus everything on a certain time or a certain goal, then all of a sudden everything you do becomes purposeful. You know why you do things the way you do. So when you spend marketing dollars on launching a new product, for example, or a new service, and you do it purposefully, and everyone in the organization knows why they're doing it, um, it becomes this one focus point. And we did that for the book. When, when we launched the book, um, it wasn't an overnight thing, right? So it was a three-year um, process of writing the book, editing the book, finding a publisher. My agent did a brilliant job. My editor did a brilliant job. Um, there were so many people involved that did their work. And I think that in the end, then we, we came to a point where we were like, we wonder whether we could spend our marketing dollars for the book launch in a very purposeful way to achieve um, a bit of, you know, some recognition. We never th really thought about, you know, Wall Street Journal bestseller. That came at the very end when we realized um, where the pre-order numbers were going, that we might have a shot. And then you're like, you know what, let's try it. And um, we did. And everyone, everyone did their job. Everyone um, pulled in the same direction. And eventually we made it, we pulled it off, which was absolutely uh, amazing. I remember sitting on my desk and working and my girlfriend came into my office and she had printed out the Wall Street Journal bestseller list of that uh, week. And she was waving it to me. Look what just came out. Look what just came out. You're on number three. And I'm like, what? I didn't even realize it back then. Um what that meant. So it was it was something unexpected and extremely exciting at the same time. Wow. Congratulations. Well, you know, so you've had an interesting road. You know, certainly starting with your move to North America uh, three years ago, uh, you faced a lot of uncertainty. And I think, you know, what <clears throat> I think there's I see a lot of fear in business right now people are afraid of what's going on in the economy and so what advice would you share uh to business owners as they're facing uh 2024 lean into the chaos if you if you feel fear there's a good reason for it lean into it and ask yourself where it comes from if it's if it's fear of um, losing clients make sure you're closer to your clients 
if it's fear of, you know, losing a key employee, make sure you're closer to your key employees, like leaning into the chaos, running towards the uncertainty. That's the only real lesson that I took from that crazy decision to move from Germany to Vancouver um, at the height of a lockdown and a pandemic. So not shying away from the situation or the difficult decision, but asking yourself, what if I still did it? And then realizing, hey, there is so much value in, the, in in fear. There's so much value in uncertainty. When you just lean into it and harvest it, it's like a it's like a lightning bolt. There is so much energy in a lightning bolt. If we could harvest those things, that would be so amazing. So try to lean into it and ask yourself, wh what what is it that drives your fear? Embrace that fear, and you know, play the Uno reverse card on it. Wow, that is that is so valuable. That is so valuable. Um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, Alex, thank you for joining us on Leaders and Legacies. Obviously, people should go out and buy your book, The Strategy Legacy. Uh, how do they reach you? If you dare to write my name, um, brookman.ca. If you uh, are less adventurous when it comes to domain names, just go to alexthestrategist.com. And um, yeah, there's tons of free resources on my website, um, more about the books. Um, I, got a, I got a new online course out there that helps you understand the concepts of strategy in a different way, in a different capacity. Um, there's, there's a lot happening on the page. And obviously, um, I almost live on LinkedIn. It's um, a space where I'm very active. So you can always just reach out and connect with me there. And and for those that uh, aren't up on their German names, Brookman is spelled B-R-U-E-C-K-M-A-N-N. -N. The easy part, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, Alex, thank you again for being on Leaders and Legacies. What a delightful conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Craig. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com uh, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.